All right, I'm here with Shane Harris, um, who's the founder of SideQuest. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, it's great to finally talk to you. I, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about SideQuest. So SideQuest is a platform um, that um, helps basically people with two things, I would say. Uh, first of all, to help um, Quest users um, easily install a um, a Quest game that is not in the official Quest App Store. And then also, um, second of all, to discover new games from indie devs that kind of like um, didn't make it into the App Store or, or not yet in the official App Store. W- w- would you say that's correct? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think I think there's always a focus on uh, being able to help and support developers as, as much as we can. You know, um, we've been lucky enough to be hands off and the community's helped to drive this uh, project and drive the success of this project, which is great. Um, but, you know, any involvement that we take is usually focused on trying to uh, help and support the developers as much as we possibly can. Yeah, and as a developer myself, you know, I um, I'm really helpful, uh, thankful for, for what you're doing. It's, I mean, it's really been a game changer, I think, for us and for other developers. So thanks. I'm glad. I'm really glad. How did you um, tell us a little bit? How did you get started with SideQuest? I, I think it was about about a year ago. We're just coming up on our first birthday. And we're also coming up on a million downloads of the SideQuest launcher, which is wow. a significant number. Um, even if we weren't in a niche within a niche um, in in the space of VR, so we're we're astounded by that. Um, but around this time last year, maybe a bit before this, around March last year, uh, we had submitted a pitch to Oculus along with a lot of other developers. Um, we were working on a social metaverse game, and um, we our pitch was declined. You know, which at first, you know, we were we were upset about, but fairly quickly it became it became apparent that uh, we were at a table with much much bigger uh, game game studios and and uh, much more renowned indie developers, and they were also being uh, knocked back at the time. So we. We were working with uh, circles of developers in other dimensions uh, at the time, and we decided to build these tools that would simplify sideloading. Uh, we sort of shared them around, see what people thought. Somebody suggested that we uh, get F-Droid involved, the, the open source app format, uh, which we did. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, at that point, it just sort of took off, and um, and the rest was history. Uh, you know, fast forward six months, uh, we had 200,000 monthly active users generating four and a half million hits on the website per month. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it clearly, clearly was a need. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's been crazier is the last month or so, um, because we've seen uh, so much growth, obviously because of the global climate right now, but, um, yeah, our, our numbers have been going through the roof. I think we're up to 280,000 monthly actives now generating 6 million hits on the website. So things, Things are growing fast, and um, we think they're going to just continue to grow uh, organically as fast as that. Um, we don't put much effort or time into promoting what SideQuest does, uh, but it seems it's it's become a household brand all on its own. Yeah, I agree. So, so do do you see do you see um, like a lot more usage? You say because of the COVID situation. 
I mean, yeah, generally, I think um, we're kind of at an apex now where the industry is growing. And I think the current climate also reinforces that growth and, and helps that growth. So I think we're just going to continue to see a lot of um, mass adoption of, of, um, of VR generally, and that SideQuest will continue to grow from that. But we're also seeing that accelerated right now due to the due to the situation. Right. I can see that. How many games or and apps do you have now on, on SideQuest? We have 420. Okay. The, and how fast the number, like, how fast is the number growing? Uh, it's hard to say. Some days are, are quiet. Some days are much busier. Um, but, you know, a few months ago, I might have said we got two to four apps per day. Uh, I think just the other day, we uh, we hit 10 apps that we had approved yeah. for the first time. So things oh. things are growing significantly. Um, at this point, we're just trying to play catch up and to be able to figure out this data and, and what's going on with it. Um, but yeah, um, it's 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 been phenomenal to kind of just sit back and watch as this thing kind of grows. I say sit back. I work twenty four seven. I know I rarely get to sit back, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, for for when we do get a moment to kind of uh, get our head above water and get a get a sense of what's been going on, it's just been phenomenal to see, uh, you know, how much how much engagement and how much impact we've had. Yeah. And and you know those apps are uh, new apps, like newly submitted apps, not like updates to existing apps, right? That's right. Yes, ten yeah. ten new apps approved that pre-approved that day. That's crazy. How does you know? I guess um in in the beginning, like the more it grows, the more important becomes also um kind of like other aspects of of the platform, like in terms of discovery. Yes. Like um. Yeah, you know, how do you, I think that's a hard problem to solve. And I've seen you discuss it on Discord with some other people also. Um, do, do you have any ideas? How do you want to, what kind of features or what kind of concepts do you want to launch there? That's, yeah, I think I think the point there is you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, discovery is an ongoing problem, uh, no matter what kind of app store you are, whether it's Steam, Oculus, Viveport, the Epic Store, H.io, it doesn't matter. They all have different problems when it comes to discovery. And it's how do you elevate some of these uh, gems, you know, these diamonds in the rough, and make sure that they get the attention they deserve. Because what we're discovering is that uh, some of these developers kind of, uh, some of the success of their apps, it lives and dies based on whether or not they can get the proper uh, appropriate amount of um, exposure. And um, yeah, we've been working a lot recently. Recently, we changed uh, some of how our sorting algorithms were working, and we introduced uh, some new uh, discovery options there. And um, yeah, we, we, we got some stuff right. We got some stuff wrong. We had to uh, uh, revert and go back and take, take things back to the drawing board, which I think ultimately that's going to prove to be the most successful, is to try and get as much feedback from the community and try to be able to decide what of that feedback is the best to kind of act on and, and, and move forward with. Um, we are pretty excited. To date, we've kind of taken a hands-off approach uh, to how uh, how apps get exposure on the on the platform and that we, we allow the user engagement, the number of reviews, the average rating, and the number of downloads to drive those. Um, but we are considering about introducing some uh, staff pick kind of categories, you know, things that maybe give us the power to elevate something if, uh, you know, maybe due to timing, or uh, or something else, it has managed to slip through the cracks. 
So we're, yeah. we're excited to be able to make sure that the apps um, that deserve exposure uh, get exposure. And um, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's, it's just a combination of these things and it's going to be an experimentation. Um, but we're also excited about, we're talking to some strategic partners in the space. Uh, we've recently been talking to the founder of itch.io about mm-hmm. him uh, getting involved, helping us, giving us a little bit of direction there uh, uh, and giving us some advice on how we might be able to tackle these problems. Obviously, there's a lot of parallels in terms of our ethos uh, between us and itch.io. So we're, we're excited there to be able to get some help and to know what kind of pain points we can avoid and how we can shortcut this to give the most possible success to the people who use our platform. Yeah. When you say complex strategic partnerships with each the IO, do you talk about like tighter integration also or some kind of, um, you know? What yeah, you absolutely. You know, everything and anything, uh, you know, we've recently changed and we've added a new workflow to our platform that allows uh, for better itch integration for some of the for some of the apps, which I mean, ultimately there there's um, there's the user flow, uh, there's the user experience for the developer, uh, you know, there's the um, analytics that are involved in that whole uh, system, and we'd love to be able to make that uh, as as simple and as um, you know self-contained or one-stop shop uh, style, so that everything is in one place, um, just so that once again, you know, developers can get the most value there. So. We're excited to explore those uh, options and see if there's ways that we can uh, simplify some of that um, some of that user experience. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty neat. So, you know, right now when um, when I want to offer a, a paid app, I um, I mean there are d- different options, but like a popular option seems to be to um, offer it on on itch.io and then um, you know link from SideQuest to itch. So, but but what I've seen in my own numbers and like also talking to other developers is that like there's a huge difference of people who kind of like even click through to itch, um, and if they click through, you know, install the APK basically through itch because it kind of like defeats doesn't defeat the purpose but like makes it then harder to install it through SideQuest because you can just click on a button and it installs it on your Quest. Yeah. You have to like drag it in or use, you know, the ADB command line tool. And, and, um, in terms of monetization for developers, are you working on some features there or do you have any plans there? Uh, in terms of direct monetization within SideQuest, our approach to that right now is, is pretty much the same as it always has been. You know, um, we're not directly interested in, in competing with Oculus or affecting their bottom line in any way. So um, we would prefer to be able to allow an existing marketplace like itch.io uh, to be able to work with developers in terms of providing that uh, monetization there. Um, but we're more interested right now in focusing on uh, building out value for the developer during the early access stages. Now, the position that we're in here with SideQuest is, is quite a unique one, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's going to be a lot of developers uh, that may not make it to the store, and SideQuest has already become a fantastic alternative uh, in terms of being able to get access uh, to users and being able to get uh, feedback and information. But 
what we'd like to do is we'd like to add, uh, you know, services and, uh, and, and features there that help developers to hone their concepts, to be able to uh, continue to develop their app with the users, with feedback from the community, uh, with a view that they could maybe go back later uh, for another application or, or if they haven't already, uh, with a view that they would make an eventual application to the main store. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, monetization of game revenue uh, has never been a has never been a priority of ours, and that that remains today. You know, we're we're happier that uh, developers can use a platform like Itch, which is incredibly friendly when it comes to revenue shares, and that we can maximize how much those developers can take uh, themselves, which is important to us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of an in-house solution, we have no plans to to build anything like that uh, as it stands today. No, no, it makes sense. Yeah. So, how how do you think about like, uh, you know the Oculus Quest kind of like store policy? Um, you've been kind of like uh, refused. Your pitch has been refused yourself. And you know, if you if you if you talk to the community, there are a lot of indie devs that um kind of like are disappointed. You see it on Discord and Reddit, and in some cases, you know, it's clear it's like a half-packed game, but in some cases, um, I personally think it, there isn't, it's hard to kind of like understand why Oculus refused, <laughs> refused that pitch. Sorry. I'm so sorry. sorry. It's your I dog. Understand. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the dogs out of here. Apologies. <laughs> Such is the nature, eh? This is the new life, the new world that we live in as part of the pandemic. Exactly. I think our I neighbors think were it's... getting a pizza delivered and the dogs are unhappy about that. Uh, they also want pizza? They also want pizza, clearly, understandably. Understandable, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to ask that question again or will I just go ahead? No, it's, it's fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of how the store works, I think um, there's merit to everything here and everything has its place, you know, and it's important. Um, as far as we're concerned here on SideQuest, we think we have about 30% of Quest users that use SideQuest. So that means that there's 30% of the user base that are interested in that experimental channel. Now, we think Oculus probably underestimated how many uh, users would have been interested in that, but there's also a 60% um, sort of users there who are happy with the, um, you know, the high tier, high quality AAA content that we're seeing on the store. So I think it's important here to kind of temper the user experience as we kind of push forward on this new frontier and uh, for users to be able to decide, right, I want the uh, curated store with everything that's that's high quality and, uh, and, and um, polished and ready for release and I'm happy to pay the money for it, then I can have that. But if I opt to, I can then have this other ecosystem that I can tap into, which lets me explore the more experimental. So... We think that Oculus, um, they see the value in this indie place, in this indie marketplace. We've seen evidence recently of them um, acknowledging that. Chris Pruitt put a, put a tweet out on Twitter, which we're very excited about, uh, you know, some news that might come in the future about some plans for those guys to to embrace the indie community uh, a little bit more. Um, and I think, yeah, I think uh, for, for a lot of indies, that's really good news. And, uh, you know, that's going to be something that um, they're, that we're all looking forward to. Yeah. Do you talk to Oculus directly? We do talk to Oculus, yeah, quite regularly. Uh, we have a fairly positive relationship with them. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're kind of excited to see 
how potentially we could we could work together in the future to to um, just be able to help uh, everybody involved here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with our plans to to build out, uh, you know, tools to help developers uh, hone their idea to try and create, you know, a, a center of excellence um, and to try and get some of the developers in our community involved, you know, those who've already been accepted to the store to help share some of that best practice and be able to help others who want to achieve the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're already seeing uh, so many different ways in which, um, you know, SideQuest and, and the main store experience are becoming entangled. And um, and we think that that's great because we want, uh, we want developers to be able to see that a potential uh, release on SideQuest could, you know, it could benefit them. You know, we know that Oculus are well aware of the of the public numbers that we publish on SideQuest, and we know of uh, titles that have uh, already been accepted onto the store, or even some that are already on the store uh, that leverage SideQuest as well. So, we're we're just excited to be able to kind of help uh, those people along the way. What kind of titles are on the store, and on and they are, you say they are on the on the official store, but still publish on SideQuest? So we have uh, five titles on SideQuest that are basically either on the store or they're coming to the store. So um, okay. what have we got? We've got Ninja Legends, which is already available on the Quest store, and they have a demo available on SideQuest, mm -hmm. uh, which gets great reviews. It's a really, really polished title. I hope, I hope that's helped those guys uh, gain a bit more exposure. Uh, we've got Pavlov, which of course is planning to come to the store. We've got Sunshard, uh, which has been accepted to the store. Uh, we recently uh, launched with Hyper Dash, uh, which is also coming to the store. And that's four, right? Yeah, didn't count. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying but, to remember but, yeah. what the fifth is. So we've got Pavlov, we've got Hyper Dash, we've got Sunshard, we've got Ninja Legends. And virtual desktop, of course, one of the originals, you know, mm. um, which has the 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 Steam VR based patch on SideQuest, but has, obviously has the, the the full app available on the on the store as well. So um, yeah, yeah, those are those are five titles that are taking advantage of SideQuest in very different ways, and we're hugely excited to see uh, you know how these guys are using it. Um, Hyperdash, for instance, uh, recently uh, accepted to the store. Uh, released on SideQuest, and um, I think their daily active users went 10x uh, after the release on SideQuest. So I think for those guys, it's great to get a bit of hype, to build a bit, get a bit more exposure, uh, and also to stress test their services, uh, you know, in the run-up to the yeah. to the official release on the actual store. So we're hugely excited to be able to help those guys um, and help uh, in any way we can elevate them uh, towards that full store release. Yeah, like for example, Hyperdash. How were they distributing before SideQuest? So before SideQuest, it was manual distribution. They uh, they basically distributed their um, uh, alphas one to four uh, through their Discord server. Okay. So uh, with a set of instructions on on how to use uh, SideQuest to install it. Okay. And what's the, why didn't they just publish it on SideQuest from the get go? Um, I'm not. I'm unsure. I mean, obviously, the journey with SideQuest has been uh, quite exciting, and it's been constantly evolving. But you know, early on, I think a lot of developers were more concerned about you know the impact of publishing on SideQuest in terms of their relationship with Oculus. So, I mean, that may have played a part. 
Um, and then possibly the the volume of traffic that SideQuest provided, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of developers um, who uh, are concerned about the firehose of users that are going to be hitting their app as soon as they release on SideQuest. So uh, recently we announced two new features to help developers in that regard. So we've got an early access system, which means that it will only be open to uh, users who've opted in uh, to see that. Um, that's a small number of users and it's growing right now. I think we've maybe about a thousand users that have opted into the early access system. And uh, we also do private listings so developers can control uh, the distribution of their app entirely and even revoke that access later as well. So um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of developers now getting on board using these features in order to get themselves ready uh, for, for a full release to the rest of SideQuest. Yeah, makes sense. You earlier said that um, about 30% of the total Quest user base uses SideQuest. How did you how do you know those numbers or how do you estimate them? So we think it's between we think it's between 25 to 30%. Um, and we are estimating those numbers. Um, we're basically using the information published by other uh, statistics bodies like Superdata and others. Um, and uh, we're, we're estimating that there's anywhere between a million to 1.2 million units in okay. the in the space right now so obviously no public numbers have been published by facebook as of yet and you know if they share that information with us we probably wouldn't be able to share that uh, publicly either but um yeah. as it stands right now uh we're basing that on the uh, monthly active users that we have and what we estimate to be the total number of users uh, headsets in the space right yeah i mean i guess that that's that's pr probably about the ballpark right yeah makes sense so, you know, how, what is kind of like the, the future for um, SideQuest? You, you're working, how, you know, how big is your team? How many, what's the, can you tell us a little bit more about like the business side? Yeah, sure. Um, well, right now we're still a small team. It's still just me and, um, and my partner, Orla. And um, yeah, we're, we're just trying to sort of hang on for dear life. Obviously with the global situation right now, uh, we're seeing a significant uptick in traffic, um, so we're we're just trying to keep things uh, running smoothly and uh, just trying to um, uh, adjust as we go in that regard. Um, but we are planning to grow the team very soon. Um, we would like to be able to experiment with trying to bring more value to developers uh, who use SideQuest and be able to, um, you know, find new ways to connect them with developers. So. We want to grow a team pretty quickly to be able to uh, start building out some of that, uh, some of that developer toolkit side of things. And um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we see a lot of parallels between us and TestFlight uh, in that we'd love to be able to bring the users and developers to, together in, in ways that are more constructive, that offer more feedback, more data, more analytics, uh, and more insights. You know, so that uh, developers can 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 uh, make data driven decisions and, and really be able to. Um, get the most out of their projects and, and, and shape them with the community. So, um, yeah, that's that's what we, what we want to do. That's that's where we want to add as much value as possible. And um, we're excited. We're excited to get started. Um, we're looking at trying to raise uh, some funding right now, uh, which is proving difficult given the current climate. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's 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 our main aim here is to is to be able to help developers in this space. We we think. We're on the verge of an ex an exponential explosion of, of of content and users on this on this space. You know, a lot of people have been saying it for many years, but we think we're 
the conditions are right. We're in the perfect storm right now. We think that uh, Quest was basically pegged to be the the mass adoption device, and we think that the global climate has only accelerated that. So uh, we're just trying to get get ready, get prepared uh, to to be able to be there, have everything in place, um, so that developers can uh, you know make the most of this next big uh, push. I agree. I agree. So, but um, in terms of kind of like financing, you said you want to um, raise some funding. Um, you also um, start doing ads, I think, on the platform, and you have a Patreon. Yes. How? Um, I don't know. I guess you don't talk about those numbers publicly, but can you give like some indication on on kind of like on the how to make it work as a business, also, Cyquest? Sure, sure. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. We we've been supported. Um, generously by our patrons to date um you know those uh we don't choose to hide those numbers those are those are public on our patron um and those have those have taken a hit i'll, I'll be honest which is to be expected um given the global climate you know um obviously these are donations and uh you know we appreciate that people may have bigger fish to fry right now and um you know this isn't necessarily a priority and and um yeah we think that's the right thing to do um uh, but we actually we haven't seen too much of a dip in terms of uh, the supporter uh, income that we get. Um, as regards the ad revenue, uh, we have played with ads in the past. Um, it has, uh, you know, there there has been a bit of revenue there in the past, and uh, there could be again in the future. Um, but we we are worried about uh, the impact that, that can have on the user experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we most recently announced that we were going to be closing. Uh, the uh, SideQuest uh, source code in future versions, um, and there was there was a little bit of uh, a small minority of kind of kickback uh, with regard to that. Uh, people people thought that we were we were trying to be greedy, um, but we we've heavily reduced uh, the number of ads on SideQuest. I think as it stands right now, we have a single ad on the games page, uh, and everything else has been has been removed. And um, yeah, we're 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 considering removing that as well. Um, Obviously, that doesn't leave us a whole lot in terms of, uh, you know, money to keep the lights on. Um, and the uh, patron revenue is great, but it's, it's probably not enough uh, to sort of uh, pay a salary or two uh, on our end. Um, so we, we, we would like to, uh, yeah, we, we've been talking about potentially raising some funding. Uh, so we're, we're talking to a couple of investors right now about getting involved in the opportunity that kind of SideQuest uh, presents. Um, and yeah, we, we kind of have enough uh, with, you know, our own uh, savings to be able to keep us going for a few months more uh, on this, too. So I think I think the current plan for us is to find the right partners, uh, you know, the people that align with us in terms of our ethos that want to see this go in the direction that we want it to go in. And um, and yeah, so so, yeah, I think I think that's possibly a direction that we're uh, we're going to start actively pursuing. Yeah. How much is your Patreon revenue currently? Okay. Just for the listeners. I believe we're at maybe seven hundred and fifty dollars per okay. month. Uh, it was it was at about eight hundred uh, or so. So we've seen about a fifty dollar drop uh, due to the yeah. pandemic. Okay, I mean I think that's still you know it's still not nothing. It's like um, probably covers uh, uh, some of your expenses. That's that's good. It does. I think, you know, it, it, it covers a part of the server costs and, you know, it goes towards maybe helping us uh, run some giveaways. We have a tendency to give away headsets uh, mm -hmm. quite often. So we like to take as much of that uh, revenue as possible and, and sort of earmark it uh, to, to going back into the community. 
yeah. which is great. Yeah. So you're you're not spending on 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 champagne and caviar. That's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, maybe in the future. Maybe. Um, yeah. No, I mean that's great. Um, I think more people should support you. So if you're listening, go to their Patreon and and put in some cash. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Also, maybe one, maybe one of the thirty listeners will do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but of course. Uh, this is a difficult time for everybody, so only do it if you can. That's that's important. Yeah, but it's a great way to support kind of like the whole VR ecosystem. So if you want to help VR grow as a whole, then do it if you can. Thank you. Um, cool. So yeah, you just mentioned, um, I want to get into the, um, the thing with um, you have been running SideQuest, have been open sourcing the, the, the code so far. Um, now you've announced that you're closing the source code. And as I understood it from your announcement, the main reason is piracy of, of games. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's going on there? So, uh, yeah, essentially, um, we've, we've been in discussions, uh, with the community, uh, with the developers on our platform, uh, with Oculus, uh, for that matter, um, about the impact. Uh, that piracy has had. And the unfortunate thing that we've had to accept at SideQuest is because we've lowered the bar and we've made we've, we've uh, reduced that barrier for users to be able to get uh, APK files to their headsets, uh, that means that unfortunately we have to take a part and take some responsibility in that we've helped to enable a certain amount of piracy. Now, the difficulty is, um, of course, when you're as closely connected to the situation as, as, as me and some of the people that in the community that I'm working with, uh, you really get to see how rampant uh, this problem is. Most people don't notice um, because when the posts go up on Reddit or they go up in the Discord channels, uh, the individuals are often banned and the content is removed before you ever get to see it. But if you mm -hmm. saw the growth in the numbers of how many times uh, the moderators on uh, you know r slash Oculus Quest are removing content because there is people blatantly trying to sell apps uh, that have been that have been modified. And um, the real tipping point for me recently was when a developer approached me and uh, gave me a link a link to uh, a user on Telegram who was essentially um, selling some of the free apps that were available on SideQuest. Mm -hmm. So it kind of felt like it was a triple barrel. Uh, in that scenario, you know, it's 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 piracy, but it's not just that. It's also scamming the users because the users could otherwise get the content for free, and taking something that a developer has kind of come to the conclusion and and uh, you know decided that they're going to give away for free, and somebody else decides they're going to profit on that. And that that to us was was part of the final straw uh, there, and we decided we were going to take a proactive approach and. Um, Closing the source code was a very unfortunate uh, casualty in that decision. And um, the main reason behind that was as we added uh, anti-piracy checks into SideQuest, um, whilst we haven't seen much in the way of open source contribution in the last uh, couple of months, uh, what we did see was an immediate uh, response from some people in the piracy community to fork SideQuest, to remove the anti-piracy measures, uh, to disable automatic updates. And um, what we found or what we decided was that we had to uh, we had to take an affirmative decision here and position uh, or else um, 
what may happen is that one of these pirated uh, side builds of SideQuest may end up gaining traction and uh, we could end up contributing to the problem even more so than we had in the past. So uh, essentially here, uh, we decided that we had to close up part of the code base in order to be able to protect some of the anti-piracy measures uh, that we've put in place and hopefully undo some of the damage that SideQuest in part enabled uh, when it came to that piracy. What kind of specific anti anti-piracy measures do you have in the in the software? So we have a system called SafeSide. Uh, it's an open source system, in fact. Um, it's community driven, and um, essentially, users uh, who come across content in the wild can choose to either report it to us at SideQuest. We'll investigate and try to find anything that we can catalog uh, and hash and add to uh, a blacklist. Uh, service that we that we operate um so that's that's a public uh, service that's available to everybody all our community you know it's it's a crowd sourced effort here to be able to find the content that has been violated and to and to blacklist it now it's not the most robust uh, system in the world but we think that it, it um is a nice balance between user experience and uh being able to um uh, take a take a, a proactive approach to uh, curbing some of the some of the impact of piracy. So, ultimately, what's important to us at SideQuest is that we don't compromise user experience, and we'll do what we can to try and to try and help mitigate this problem. Um, we completely appreciate we cannot stop piracy, and we've no intention of trying. So, in terms of the measures we've put in place for now, that's the only planned measures we're going to put in place, and we have no plans to go further and try to try to target some of the. Uh, methods that that we've seen uh, people are using uh, to pirate content. So um, we think you know it's very easy for for um, the high end uh, pirates to be able to just move over to uh, ADB or or one of the many other tools they can use to sideload content. We can't prevent that, nor would we try. But maybe we can reduce the number of users who would use SideQuest and would otherwise be unfamiliar or afraid of, uh, you know, a more complicated, more advanced uh, command line based operation. So we, we'd like to just help uh, reduce, if even only a small bit, then we, we feel we've, we've done our part. All right. I think that's a good, good strategy. Thanks. So before you started with SideQuest, you said um, you were working on a social uh, game. Yes. It's called The Expense, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was a, a working project name. Yeah, it's since been okay. renamed to uh, Legends or, or Legends okay. by SideQuest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's something that um, has uh, it's it's been more of a passion project, more of a. Um, yeah, it's it's been more of a hobby, really, uh, for me and some of my friends to kind of work on and um at the time, whenever we submitted to Oculus, it was it was still kind of a hobby, um, but it's still quite active. We are running a closed beta right now. We have been for the last uh, couple of months, and um, yeah, we're, we're kind of excited by that. Obviously, our resources are somewhat limited, uh, so we can't give it as much time and energy as we'd love to, uh, but we're excited to kind of keep pushing that forward with any, with any available resources that we have. But um, obviously, SideQuest right now uh, takes, takes a lot of our attention because... Uh, there's so much value uh, that we can add there, and we've got to we've got to try and stay on top of that. Right. And what kind of so how legends? Um, how does it like what kind of game? Can you talk about it? How does it work? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's a social metaverse game. Um, you know, if you think of other platforms like VR Chat uh, or Rec Room, uh, you know, or Neos VR, um, it's it's along the same kind of lines. It's user generated. You can move uh, between an infinite number of spaces uh, created by other users. You know, um, and uh, I think the unique element about Legends for us is that not only do we plan to support that simple. Uh, you know, easy, friendly, uh, you know, end user drag and drop things around to build content around you. Uh, but we're also working to uh, directly integrate with the more professional uh, Unity based uh, workflows. So uh, we're building out SDKs and tools. Uh, we actually built Legends using its own SDK. Uh, and the plan there is to allow other people to be able to plug in uh, and to be able to ledge, uh, you know, leverage uh, the SDK. So we're uh, we're working on a Unity um, asset that we're planning to publish on the on the asset store. We, we've got uh, an existing uh, earlier version of the asset already up there, um, but uh, we're going to update it soon. And uh, yeah, eff effectively, it will contain uh, many of the core elements of uh, the platform as part of the asset, much like the actual uh, release uh, game itself. Um, we we basically have it set up so that. You know, we, we release uh, on, on Android, on Windows, and also as a Unity asset in that same build pipeline. So um, it's, it's, the same, it's the same core uh, fundamentals there that we're trying to open up uh, to developers so they can, they can play with that inside Unity. Cool. I've, um, I've got to check it out, see how it goes. So what's your feeling, or I don't know, maybe you have more kind of like more... Um objective data on this, the developers, you know, publishing on SideQuest, do you think, so are a lot of them just doing it as like a hobby and it will stay a hobby? Or do you think a lot of them are, you know, kind of like trying to basically do it, live, live from selling their game eventually on the Oculus store or, or whatever? I think, um, I think one of the best things about SideQuest is how much kind of harmony there is in the diversity. Uh, you know, how many different people are doing different things um, and how that all seems to just kind of work reasonably well together enough uh, that, you know, people are willing to kind of get involved and get on board. So we see everything from developers who are uh, completely solely focused and this is their uh, main uh, income to uh, developers who are simply dedicated to uh, getting some stuff out there that other people can enjoy and play. You know, to think of some examples, you know, you've got, you've obviously got Guy Godin from Virtual Desktop, uh, already well established in the desktop environment. But, you know, we'd like to hope that maybe we've helped elevate that. And um, he's he's well-renowned, well-established, uh, working full-time on this stuff and has been for quite a while. Uh, we've got some other developers, uh, like, say, Onion Man uh, on our platform, who's got quite a few titles on there, uh, you know, maybe not as as popular as the likes of Virtual Desktop, uh, but he's got quite a few titles all linked through itch.io, and we like to hope that maybe he makes some supplementary income. Um, we have To The Top, which launched on SideQuest in uh, in January. Um, sorry, in February, my apologies, in February. And um, yeah, I mean, after a month, uh, those guys did a, a, a sort of a, a rundown on, on how successful they thought it was, and the consensus was that it was a worthwhile effort for a paid title. Uh, to release on SideQuest and be able to um, cover their costs. Um, I think ultimately, um, 
and this this kind of forms much of the foundation of the reason why we we want to focus on developers. Developing is is such a difficult decision to make because you're you're paying forward. You're taking that huge risk that you're going to undertake a lot of time and effort and development and try to get something just right. That later down the line, at the very last hurdle, you know something could go, could go wrong. The reception might not be as much as you expected, and it's such a, it's such a risky thing to do. And that's for any game developer in the entire game industry. Uh, when you take the developers that are willing to take that leap in VR, um, that needs to be commended, uh, as far as we see it. You know, people people uh, in my eyes uh, who take who take that leap of faith are heroes. You know, and um, you know a lot of them do it without any expectation that they're going to make something out of it. And you know, I think I think we adopt that mentality as well. You know, when we see uh, uh, Doctor Beef, who is probably one of the top two creators on our platform uh, in terms of pure numbers, in terms of downloads and how much content they've released, um, they basically enough. created this huge nostalgia fest of these games from the '90s uh, that people haven't played for years, and they've ported them to this new amazing platform that basically gives them a whole new fresh breath of life. So, you know, everybody benefits there. The users get massive amounts of content for free. Uh, you know, the developer, um, I don't know what his reasons are. Uh, he seems to me to be, uh, you know, he seems to have a heart of gold. He recently, we recently had a side quest award ceremony and he was uh, one of the developers that won. And um, rather than take his cash prize, he donated it to a homeless charity. So wow. um, he really is uh, dedicated, devoted, hands-off, not driven by any kind of uh, monetary gain. And, uh, you know, we're as eager as possible to get behind that kind of mentality because uh, that's certainly the, the kind that we think that needs to be, uh, you know, elevated and, and needs to be given that extra <clears throat> that extra exposure. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're delighted to be able to house all these different uh, workflows and anybody who's involved in this industry to any capacity uh, we we would be eager to help uh, get them out there and get get some users uh, messing with their with their stuff right that's great that's pretty cool what did you actually before you started doing side quests and you know the expands or legends what's your background what were you doing yeah so i'm a senior developer by trade um i have a tendency to dip a digit into many different areas um you know web has been a huge area that i've focused on for many years um but in in recent years i've i've started to uh play with uh you know everything from game development to devops um i was previously a cto of a company called Sensum. uh they were quite uh, considerably um popular uh, and still are to this date they do emotional analytics uh, for mar market research so at that point, I gained a, a lot of skills uh, across very many different uh, uh, sort of areas. Um, mainly, uh, the logistics there was trying to connect these various different things together. You know, we would we would run studies uh, in the field and uh, try to gather data across a multitude of devices, uh, synchronizing that to the cloud, and and uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, running various aggregations then on that as well. So. Uh, you know, when I worked with those guys, I probably gained the most experience I did in a short space of time, uh, working with a team of developers, designers, and data scientists underneath me uh, to be able to deliver the best uh, that we could in that space. So, 
yeah, I think I came, I became a lot more eclectic at that point in terms of um, what I was open to uh, being able to play with. And um, yeah, I think uh, virtual reality was a clear win for us. Uh, at the time, we attended CES in Las Vegas, and we demonstrated a, a, a web VR-based uh, solution at the time. We were aggregating the emotional sentiment of Twitter, uh, of tweets that, that uh, were related to the conference at the time. That was, mm-hmm. that was kind of the little, um, the little uh, show and tell that we did. And uh, I think at the time, an Oculus employee came over and tried our demo. And that, for me at the time, was amazing. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, ever since then, I've been hugely excited. I've spent more money than I ever should have on this equipment. I've got uh, probably double numbers in the terms in the number of different types of headsets I've got here <laughs> and setups. So that's always an ongoing uh, um kind of pain point shall we say between me and my wife as to how much money i spend on this stuff i'm a serial early adopter now um so yeah recent years game development has been a huge area you know and it's 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 just another one of these things it's a huge um area of interest for me to be able to explore and create with this new technology and um and be able to take advantage of the some at sometimes godlike powers that it gives you right that's um that's pretty cool. So you know, as you correctly said, right now I would say I don't know ninety percent or so of the use cases for VR are in gaming. But you know, if you want VR to become like a computing platform, this has to change, and I believe it will change. What's your view views on this? What kind of use cases or areas do you see coming up next? You know. Well, so we've actually already seen some verticals uh, that are starting to become accelerated. And what's amazing is that's much earlier than I would have expected to see it. Um, And once again, you know, there's global factors here that have influenced it. But um, I would say the next most popular application after gaming is fitness. And what we're starting to see now is that um, games are are looking at uh, their looking at their audience, looking at their users uh, with a new uh, perspective in terms of how can what we're doing also be applied, you know, to fitness. VR is the first time gaming has become a really active uh, activity, and um, and this is huge. So now, you know, people are at home, people can't exercise like they would normally uh, right now, and uh, we're seeing all sorts of fitness games, all sorts of VR games being used in a fitness setting. We're even seeing, you know, some popular games um, or. or I guess popular content, it's probably not appropriate to call them games, uh, but you've got Supernatural, uh, you know, which released very recently, and they're taking a completely different model to this uh, in terms of how they approach it. You know, they're basically providing a, a gym-like experience uh, for users um, in the fitness space. Um, so, yeah, fitness is a vertical that's already carrying, carrying a lot of weight. You know, you've got your fit, uh, bringing a lot of value, starting to integrate their fitness solutions with many other games. and um, it's just a no-brainer for us. This this stuff is great. Adds so much value and and uh, you know um, loyalty driving uh, elements uh, in terms of how the users are using these applications. You know, um, for users to be able to track everything in one place, no matter what game they're playing, that's a game changer. You know, the next Fitbit, but created as a virtual as a virtual uh, device, is um, is going to be huge. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean the next. The next vertical then immediately after that, which is probably, you know, close to home uh, for you, is education. So we're seeing a massive uptick in the number of educational apps that are being released. Uh, we're seeing 
that the global pandemic is presenting all sorts of challenges right now for how can you properly educate people. Uh, you know, um, we've got everybody's uh, basically homeschooled uh, for the last two months in so many different areas around the world. And um, yeah, what we're seeing now is that teachers and students are being connected back together uh, during this time uh, using this technology. And um, I think that uh, obviously the pandemic is is a horrific scenario for so many different uh, people, businesses, everything. Um, but one thing we are seeing is that it's elevating the use case uh, for this technology beyond just the gaming vertical. Um, communication, education, fitness, these are areas we're seeing already that people are, are, um, are, are seeing the most benefit uh, from this as it moves forward. And, and we hope that on the other side of this, uh, you know, as we kind of enter into a new um, into a new kind of mentality about how you look at the world, um, that people will be certainly more interested in taking advantage of this technology. And we are just delighted to see how that's going to impact adoption. Yeah, I agree. I, I, um, I personally use it as a fitness device too, you know. I know, have you been, have you been working out in VR? Not as much as I'd like, uh, but I don't <laughs> think that's uh, the pandemic to blame. I just have a tendency to, to work too often, but I do. I do. I obviously play a lot of Beat Saber. Anytime I get a chance, anytime there's a new update, I'm usually spending a lot of time in there. Uh, me yeah. and my wife, we also enjoy Box VR, which I think is quite a popular one. Um, mm -hmm. I also get a, a fair bit of exercise out of just things like Rec Room. You know, they're not necessarily uh, normally fitness based, uh, but I just have a tendency to jump around a lot when I'm doing it. So yeah. I get that benefit anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so good. It's so good to have that right now, you know. I think us, those of us who have access to virtual reality, um, we're luckier. You know, we've got more uh, more access to activities and experiences than those who don't, which means that there's less of a chance. You know, we're going to develop uh, cabin fever and and you know really uh, feel this hard. So, I think it's worth noting that we are really lucky uh, to be involved at this at this point and be able to see the benefit of it. Um, and exercise is is a huge part of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess like even without the pandemic um, situation, you know, I think VR is a, a huge equalizer like um, of opportunity, like because basically, I mean, not today, but like in the near future, you, you will be able to do many things just with a VR headset that you can't really do in real life. And, you know, it, it's not like 100% the same thing, but it, get, it gets pretty damn close. Yeah. So I like a simple example, let's say, go visit like a museum or like a, a point of interest somewhere in a different country or even the same country, different city, you know, um, like, like a lot of kids, most kids or most people in the, in the world can't do that just because they don't have the money. Right. Um, and so like with the VR, you can, you can get close to that and it's, it's almost as good. So it's, it's great, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, when talking to some of my friends, um, I think people in like the develop in the Western world don't really understand this because it's doesn't really touch them. At, at least you know, like in in the middle to upper middle class people don't really think about these things, you know. Um, but but um, I think that's great. And, and now in the pandemic, it kind of like touches all people. It doesn't matter if you're rich or not. Yeah. Um, you can't, you know, you can't go out. So so you see you see how this life for a lot of people in the world. Yeah, normal life they can't. Um, so that's you know I think that's um, that's great. 
what do you see in terms of um, productivity apps like um, using VR in the office environment, replacing the laptop? Yeah, well, I mean, well, so I think I think that's kind of the next phase of um, of kind of the the work the workplace focused uh, VR solutions that we're going to see. I think um, I think probably a, a good driver there in terms of success is that uh, we need to figure out a little bit more uh, of how to mix the experience in VR with the real world experience. You know, I think, um, and this isn't specific to workplaces. I think that this is also something that needs to apply in the home setting too. But um, I think right now, um, you know, there's some great productivity tools out there if you're working alone. Uh, but I think people often work uh, as part of teams. And, uh, you know, I think what could really help uh, with with adoption in that space uh, is for us to be able to take advantage of some mixed reality solutions, you know, that we can start to see, uh, you know, a crossover uh, where it's less of a single user isolating experience and it's more of a, uh, you know, pass through uh, setup, you know, a virtual device that's leveraging some AR features to be able to offer a mixed environment, you know, and I think, um, I think that what we'll see at that point is that people will use these devices together in the same setting and we'll see that you know it'll become ne less necessary to pay for a large expensive tv when you can have a shared experience with somebody beside you both of you wearing a headset and see a mixed reality tv projected onto the wall um, right. the same then applies in the workplace you know being able to do presentations and stuff like that being able to um and like i say this is this is a stepping stone you know i feel as far as as far as it's required uh, but it's also something that's going to get better with time is how much and how seamless uh, the difference is between between the real world and, and the virtual world. Now, when it comes to augmented reality, I think that it has a long way to go uh, to be kind of as seamless and standalone as it is. Uh, but I think that there's certainly going to be a stepping stone there in that VR uh, and pass-through technology is going to start to um, reduce, you know, some of the antisocial, uh, uh, you know, stigma that's associated with VR. And um, yeah, I think I think that's going to be great in the workplace. Right. You know, I feel like they already started sneaking in, in features in this direction, like with the version 16 update for the Quest. Now yes. that you can set your home environment as a pass-through. Yeah. I think that kind of like didn't get that much, that much attention, I feel, but that's like a, a step in this direction, definitely. And Absolutely. I use it all the time. It's like, it's a game changer. <laughs> It, it removes that disconnection between you and the real world. You're no longer going to walk into somebody because you can see them and you don't have to look down through your nose gap or, or lift the headset off your face. <laughs> and it's all just about easing that friction right now, I think. You know, all the main parts of VR are there. It's just about making that, refining that and, and trying to reduce that user friction is, is, is the key really right now. How do you think the next generation or the next version of the quest or whatever headset they will bring out kind of like will look like in terms of specifications you know will it be lighter better um, more power i think yeah i mean i think we're, we could probably draw a lot of comparisons here between uh, vr and um how uh you know the the um uh, mobile phones kind of evolved after the iphone uh we'll see probably quite regular iterations, you know, maybe a new device every year uh, that will very slowly increment uh, various different elements. Um, 
I think it's the same as mobile phones. You know, everybody's just kind of worked towards that cutting edge. What is the latest? What's the best? What's the most refined? What's the lightest? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to be done uh, in many of these spaces. And what's great about that is that there's a huge opportunity here uh, to sort of innovate uh, and to continue uh, to improve and refine these products. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if in 12 months we don't have another device uh, that's lighter, that has higher resolution, higher frame rate, more processing power, um, that all of these things will just continue to grow year on year. And, uh, you know, when we see some um, some other players get involved, you know, when Apple, uh, you know, eventually enters this space with something that's just hyper polished and becomes, you know, the, the um, you know, the kind of bar is set at that point, you know, then it's it's going to be a question of a lot of big players innovating in here uh, at the same time. And that's just going to continue uh, to just drive up uh, the quality um, and and um, yeah, how, how good those products are going to be. Obviously, right now, Facebook pretty much dominates that space. Um, and I think what's great is that they're they're killing it in terms of what they're doing. Uh, so they're demonstrating a huge amount of value there for other players to sort of get involved here as well. So, yeah, I guess um, I'm just excited to see uh, any kind of innovation. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm just excited to get my hands on these devices every year uh, when they come out. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so how do you think kind of like will uh, the Quest's store strategy look like in terms of do you think they will just start opening up the, the store to more and more non-gaming apps or will they make it separate because like at some point you can't like the selection process works for games the creation but it doesn't make a lot of sense for if you have like a general purpose store like an app store or mac mac west store or something you know that what yeah mean? yeah well i think i mean the key right now is that um you know games is obviously where uh, the majority of the user interest and engagement is right now. And I think it's important to um, to sort of feed into that as much as possible and to not to try to alienate those users um, with with um, sort of other apps and so forth. But that, that being said, uh, I see a lot of activity here. You know, I think, um, you know, you've got players like uh, HTC and Pico that are doing quite a lot in the enterprise space. Uh, I think Oculus for Business uh, is going to deliver a lot of value there too. And I would I would imagine that, uh, Oculus are probably going to focus uh, a lot of their energy there uh, in terms of these other verticals, at least initially. Um, but ideally, you know, I'd like to see a storefront in the future that caters individually to these different verticals, you know, and whether that's, uh, you know, a single interface, uh, you know, with just different categories. Um, but I think, I think, like I say, because of the adoption of, of VR for things like fitness and education, I think those things are coming sooner than than we might expect. Yeah, I think so too. So, no, I mean that's that's uh, so exciting. <laughs> do, do you think, like, I, I guess we get, get this question question a lot. Just to come come back to SideQuest, like when you know Oculus says, okay, want to help indie devs more, like you know Chris Prude said in the tweet. Yes, d- might they kind of like launch their own way of publishing apps like you do today on SideQuest, but integrated somehow into the store um, or not? Or what's kind of like, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, I think, um, you know, whatever's good for the industry is something that we here at SideQuest are going to get very excited about. 
Um, I would love to see Oculus open up, uh, you know, something like this. This is, it wouldn't be the first time they've done it. You know, we had Oculus Share originally in the early days, uh, which, you know, for in a lot of respects is extremely similar to what SideQuest is doing in terms of just uh, providing a, a central marketplace that, uh, you know, experimental content can just be shared. And, um, you know, we've seen other things. We've seen experimental channels in the Oculus Store on Rift uh, and in other contexts as well. And I think that this makes a lot of sense. And I think that Oculus um, are, are probably going to embrace that a little a little bit as well. And, and, and we think that would be great. You know, um, more choice is rarely bad uh, in these scenarios. Um, we think that... Uh, but that SideQuest still has a very strong position, um, you know, and, and somewhat even stronger uh, if Oculus sort of embraces uh, the indie community. Um, because, you know, we, we do a lot here in terms of the community, in terms of the discovery uh, of this kind of content. We take on a lot of that liability, uh, you know, that Oculus uh, gets. So I think I think that, you know, essentially they would probably be happy for us to continue uh, to sort of um, offer developers that alternative and um and we think that that uh, you know that's a great position for us to be in um but yeah at the same time uh, we would love to see them uh, embrace uh you know the value that we hope we've demonstrated uh, with the popularity of sidequest yeah i mean from oculus point of view what you guys are doing is kind of like like a free present you know they're like it couldn't be better for them they say okay we want to curate the store very strongly and then SideQuest comes and kind of like all the, the devs can go to SideQuest and prove, get like an initial market test of the of the game. And and Oculus doesn't pay a dime for it. And they kind of like don't dilute their brand or dilute the main store or whatever. And, you know, it's like uh, amazing. It worked out well for them, I guess. Um, and And do you think they are too strict in their curation process um i think whenever our app was declined i would have said yes they are too strict <laughs> in their curation process but you know it's like it's like i said before i think that in order to maximize the user experience when it comes to vr there's always going to be a certain segment of users that will be better off not exposed to that experimental channel because they, you know, they have higher expectations. And as we move more into this mass adoption, what we're seeing is that the uh, user base is kind of transforming. You know, it's no longer the early adopters. It's no longer the indies. It's no longer the people who are willing to experiment. It's more becoming the mass consumers who have a different demand when it comes to this kind of stuff. They demand quality. Uh, and without it, they'll let you know uh, exactly what they think. So I think it's important uh, for the overall success of the device and for the industry uh, for there to at least be a scenario where a user is protected uh, from those un undue, un you know, those risky experiences. That being said, there's equally uh, an opportunity here and, and, a, and a, um, you know, a, a, a hunger from the users, from a certain segment of users separate from that who want that experimental and they still want to be able to access that, you know, and that's, um, you know, in a lot of respects, that's a combination of a new breed uh, as well as, um, you know, the indies and the early adopters that have propped the industry up to date. Uh, and then we think at SideQuest, you know, there's always going to be uh, a hunger uh, for that experimental content. We think that, you know, some of the, um, 
some of the other platforms, some of the grassroots approach that you see with platforms like itch.io, they clearly demonstrate that there is a, a benefit here in embracing the indie developers and trying to offer, uh, you know, as much as much um, you know as much value to them as possible. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think everything has its place. All of these parts and pieces are, are um, separate, independent, and equally as as important uh, in this in this right. whole ecosystem. All right, that's a good way to to put it. So. What's your my final question? Yeah. Is what's your favorite game on SideQuest, and what's your favorite game that's that's in the store? That's a difficult one. I usually try to avoid that question because I don't like to give <laughs> uh, preference. Um, but you can you can name a few. Yeah, sure. No, I mean it's 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 ever changing. You know, probably what's okay. easier is to tell you what's my favorite game right now. Um, yeah, what are you currently playing? Yeah, so right now we've been playing a lot of Hyperdash. I'm not going to lie. Love Hyperdash. Uh, amazing. And um, to be honest, I would have been playing it a lot more before. Um, but just obviously when it got onto SideQuest, we got a chance in our team to sort of have a test and play with the latest alpha build and fell in love with it immediately. And it's become probably our favorite game uh, in the shorter yeah. term. Um, then if I was to look at the Oculus Store itself, uh, it's it's difficult. Um we kind of have an ongoing contender there of Beat Saber is pretty much, you know, the going favorite all the time. But I found myself playing a lot of Rec Room lately. I, you know, I really enjoy the social aspect there and getting to sort of uh, interact with people. Um, you know, I think recently I've been seeing a lot more people who are directly connected to me in the real world now are buying these headsets. So we're looking for nice. stuff that we can do together. And, um, you know, these kind of social experiences, I think, are going to um, really, really push things forward. I think, you know, playing multiplayer games online is nowhere near the same thing as playing these kinds of experiences. Even when you're dealing with stuff like, you know, people have had TeamSpeak for many years. They've been able to enjoy these uh, these games with, with um, you know, audio channels where they can all sort of hang out and chat about it and stuff. But now the presence that's involved and sort of feeling like you're there with somebody in the space is entirely different. And um, we think that that's going to have a huge uh, impact on, on the success of certain titles is, is introducing those, uh, those social presence features uh, mm -hmm. to people. So, yeah, yeah, to answer your question, things like Hyperdash, Rec Room, they definitely get a, a, a more uh, attention from me and, um, and, and from others here in, in the SideQuest team because of how much they embrace that social aspect. Yeah, that's pretty. Have you tried uh, uh, Eco VR on the Quest yet? Echo, yes, actually, yeah, just got on in, into the public beta. I always loved Echo. Played it tons on the Rift in the past. Uh, it was amazing to see the comparison. Um, I think they've done a great job with porting it to Quest. Um, I think you know. You're seeing sort of a mixed bag of reviews, uh, but basically I think a lot of those are down to the fact that you've got some veteran players that have been playing it on Rift yeah. for years, uh, and it's making it hard for, for um, new new players to kind of get in and get their, and find their feet. That's a common problem. doesn't matter what game it is that you're dealing with. Uh, you know, trying to find that balance and keeping things fair uh, is always hard to do. Um, so, yeah, I think I love Echo. I absolutely love it. I love the game mechanic. I love just... Floating through the space in a zero gravity environment uh, is great. Just looking for little, um, 
you know, little um, bits and pieces that they've left sort of randomly floating around inside there, you know, and um, it's tough. It's a really hard game. It really drives um, a lot of skill when it comes to getting good at it. But um, it's also really, really rewarding, you know, in terms of those settings, feeling like you're kind of flying through and uh, and uh, taking people out and, and scoring on the other, on the other team uh, in, in what feels like, um, I don't know, it's quite delightful just to be able to sort of float through uh, zero gravity and uh, and be able to do those things. Yeah, I, I love it. I've been exactly what you're saying. You know, um, it's a great feeling. Uh, the kind of like the 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 floating through space is very unique. But also, um, I've been playing. I think it's my most played game. I've been the close beta, um, and like I used to like when I was like a teenager, two thousand three. I used to play Call of Duty competitively, like. Uh, you know, kind of like a uh, kind of like the Euro Cup of clan base and stuff like that, and it was just the beginning of esports basically. Yeah. And and um, so, so and uh, with Eco with Eco, I I get back that competitive feeling because there are so many kind of like um, layers and trenches to it. You know, where you can kind of like understand and get better and and really, as you get better, it's more becoming more and more fun. And yeah. You know, some of those public matches, especially if you're like lower level, you got matched with a lot of, I mean, newbie players is fine, I think, but like some, especially kids that just like mess around, you're like, that's not fun, you know, but like, yeah. especially if you're in a good team where people know what the fuck they're doing, it's so much fun. Yes. It's so great. It's 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 actually, it's strange. Um, I think it's a good point that, you know. It's, a, it's another problem that a lot of these platforms deal with is how do they group people together and how do they make yeah. it so that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these platforms are dealing with people that are quite a bit more underage. And that's very alienating, you know, for a lot of people that want to enjoy it. And I think the main reason there is because of how close that presence experience is to real life. You know, um, I don't think you would right. be as upset if you're playing a flat 2D pancake mode game. But when you're in there and you're in a space, you kind of, you live and die, your experience lives and dies by the collective presence experience that you have with multiple other people and yeah i love to find people who are of a similar age group a similar mindset because then immediately i know in my head yeah this is going to be fun i'm going to enjoy this this is going to be a few hours of fun on the other hand you can get people who you know aren't in your age group and you know maybe uh, there's some friction there and that can really affect you know your perception of the experience so i think it's amazing they, they put so much work time and effort into echo vr and they work yeah. really hard on a polished experience uh, but a negative uh, ne- a negative experience there can really, um, you know, sully that for you, and that's unfortunate. Um, and these are these are just these are the kind of real problems I think we're going to have to try and solve and figure out as we go forward. Is mm-hmm. is how do we make sure that we can cater to such a wide group of people all at the same time uh, in the same kind of uh, environment? Yeah, I I agree, and I think that's a, kind of like a good conclusion and a good way to end this episode. <laughs> Um, I think this is this is becoming this will be really important, and I, I'm curious to see how the the VR community will solve this, um, which is which is growing by the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, it's been great to be on. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for being on. <laughs>